the following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 62 picks up the story in the middle of a private council between the new chiefess of Thangar, her guildmasters, and a few others, including the PCs. After considering all the guildmasters' arguments, she makes a few foundational decisions. They will not try to fight the dragon on the surface. Likewise, she has no intention of abandoning Thangar to establish a new home elsewhere, but she also agrees that they should not make plans to rebuild the citadel entirely underground. Assuming that the dragon will come back, that doesn't leave many options. The young and potentially reckless Roland Daz Augerstone provides one, declaring that he will personally find the worm and kill it where it lives. It's a bold promise, but the chiefess does not seem to think he is up to the job, which is why, after the meeting has adjourned, she calls Harl back to ask if he might lend the strength of his party to the scion of Augerstone. That night, when most of Thangar is sleeping in their camps among the mushrooms, an opportunistic thief goes to work stealing from refugees who have no means to safeguard their possessions. When he happens upon the PCs, he sees his biggest opportunity. His attempt to steal something from them is successful, and he takes something of great value. But what it is, we do not yet know. In the morning, while Gyrios is away at prayer or helping the wounded, Harl recounts his discussion with the chiefess of the night before, first with Umura, and then with Eridine. He concludes by sharing that the chiefess, also the preeminent artificer in Thangar, told him that if they had a ruby large enough, she might succeed where Grithwip Blacknail had failed in adding to his armor's power. Surprising everyone, even herself, Umora says she knows where they can find one. Chapter 63, Part 1, Day 72, Morning. Party Status, Harl, 22 of 34 hit points. Gyrios, 27 of 37. Eridine, 16 of 18. Umura, 25 of 25. Spells available. Umura has memorized, hold portal, light, levitate, knock lightning bolt, and water breathing. Gyrios has prayed for, resist fire, hold person, and locate object. While Harl recounted his late night meeting with Umura, Gyrios was finishing his prayers. 
Despite warnings from the dwarves that he passed along the way, Gyrios had gone up to the surface to worship. The devastation of Thangar in the aftermath of the attack was absolutely shocking. Gyrios did not have the words or experience to accurately describe the magnitude of the damage he saw, but a memory had flashed into his mind. Many years ago, Prior Imril had told him the story of how a fireball had fallen from the heavens onto the western plains in Camranth. Some still considered it a holy site and made pilgrimages there. The kindly old cleric had called the fireball by a name. It took a moment for Gyrios to recall the word, Meteor. This meteor had left an impact crater the size of a barn, the prior told him. To Gyrios's mind, Thangar looked like it had been struck by a swarm of these meteors. The front half of the palace was a concave bowl of debris, as though it had been struck by a titanic mace. The White Hall, where so many of the recent dead had studied the sword and the hammer and the axe, was now a jumble of rubble. Homes, businesses, all were ruined. Of the eastern tower there was nothing left, save for a dark, jagged stump. It resembled a tree that had been struck by lightning. Everything in the citadel was charred, blackened, and covered in soot that shifted about in the wind like lost spirits. When his prayers were complete, Gyrios slipped his golden coin holy symbol back into his belt pouch and took one last look at the sunrise before returning into the mountain. Just before he entered, he felt a little scratch on his neck. Ouch. He looked over just in time to see a little brown and white bird take off from his mailed shoulder. It alighted on a broken section of wall not far away and then hopped up and down, peeping angrily. Gyrios touched his neck. The scratch had been more surprising than painful, really. The bird, he now recognized it as a thrush, berated him once again. Gyrios scratched his bald head, turned his back on the funny creature and re-entered the mountain. His first stop was in the smith's quarter. Tarig Slinghitch's father was Thangar's armorer, and the captain was staying there to convalesce. Gyrios knew that he could never really repair the internal damage the captain had sustained, but he could help to relieve his suffering through the magical healing power his faith afforded him. Following the sound of a ringing hammer, he found the armorer's shop and knocked on the door. Gyrios will use his newly acquired 4th level Cure Serious Wounds spell on Slinghitch during this visit. I've already recorded the use of the spell in the party status, and there's no need to roll to determine how effective the spell is. The captain's fighting days are over, so his hit point total is unimportant. However, I will roll 2d6 on the reaction table, because I think there is a good chance that the Slinghitch family will want to thank Gyrios for his efforts. If you have a very good memory, you might even know what I've got in mind here. Here's how the roll will work. A roll of seven or higher will result in a generous gift. Double sixes will result in something truly special. But if I roll snake eyes, there will be a negative consequence. Hey, not everybody always wants to be helped, right? Okay, here's the roll. An 11. Even with Gyrios's minus one charisma penalty, that is a great roll. Gyrios is leaving with the gift from Thangar's armorer. When Gyrios got back, he found Umura and Eredin packing their things, but Harl, he noticed, was not. He looked at the two women questioningly. They looked at him the same way. Where did you get that? Oh, uh, yes, it's quite a work of art, isn't it? They were talking about the gift from Slinghitch's father. It was the very same suit of plate and mail that Gyrios had once admired, wishing he could afford it. 
The work of art that Gyrios referred to was the simple yet elegant design of a rising sun hammered into the breastplate. The armorer had worked on it since the coronation ceremony the day before, intending it as a gift to the human that had done so much to aid his son. But, um, are you two going somewhere? It took them a while to explain everything. After they were done, he found himself wanting to join them. He even suggested it. But they had to turn him down, for where they intended to go, it was best that he stay in Thangar. Besides, there was still so much work for him to do here, so many people that needed his prayers and healing. Gyrios thought of the destruction he had witnessed above. Mazagar be with you. I will count the days until you return. Although he addressed them both, he was looking at Eredin when he said the words. After the women had left, Gyrios and Harl ate a quick lunch. Rations distributed by the Dumanon, Kamio, who had been tasked with feeding the surviving Thangarians. The portions were bigger than Harl would have expected. Although the mushroom fields were really just meant to supplement the dwarves' diet, there were simply fewer mouths to feed now. Gyrios mastered his disinclination and ate along with the rest of the dwarves. There wasn't much choice. It was either that or go hungry. You keep eating like a dwarf and maybe you'll bulk up a little, eh, my friend? Dwarves believed that it was because of their diet that as they aged, they tended to grow stronger, not weaker, as the other races did. When they were done, Harl set down his cup and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Sooner or later, we'll need to go and speak with Rolandas. Now is as good a time as any, Gyrios replied. My thoughts as well. Do you want to pray for good luck before we do? This could be difficult. I have already prayed for each one of us. Ha, good. Then let's go and find him. Dramatis Personae Roland Daz Augerstone Roland Daz Augerstone is 38 years old, exactly the same age as Harl. The two dwarves were even born in the same month, the first of the year. He wears silver-trimmed plate mail armor and wields his father's two-headed battle axe. Each of the blades is etched on one side with the image of a bear's head. His face has a kind of redness to it, which gives others the impression that he is in a constant state of agitation. His pointed nose and thick eyebrows that come together in a V intensify the look. Roland Daz's hair is an unruly mass of thick, dark curls. His full beard hangs to his navel, where it tapers to a point. At four foot two inches tall, he is the exact same height as Harl. He weighs just 120 pounds. This is light for a dwarf, but we must remember what he has recently suffered and the reason he is a little underweight. Roland Daz is somewhat reckless and carries a chip on his shoulder, having a well-respected warrior for a father and the formidable Chief Boehner Augerstone for a grandfather. Now that both of them are dead, he feels even more pressure to live up to his family name and will risk his own life to do so. Whether he becomes an asset or a hindrance to the party is as yet unknown, but I think at this point we do need to fully flesh him out, so let's quickly roll up his stats. A few things to keep in mind. Because he is a dwarf, he will min out at the racial requirements, meaning his constitution will be at least a 9. He'll also get a 13 or better in his prime requisite strength score. To balance out these advantages, he will not receive any stat bonus rolls earned by his having reached level 4. Let's get to rolling. I got some beautiful new bright green dice in the mail today. Let's see if they're lucky. Strength. A 14. A very good start. Plus one to hit and damage. Intelligence. A nine. Okay. Wisdom. 14. Hmm. 
That's not really how I imagined him. I've already described him as reckless, but okay. Maybe he's extremely perceptive or has good instincts. Dexterity. What? 18. I can't remember the last time I rolled triple sixes during character creation. Holy smokes. That will give him a three-point bonus to his AC. Wow. All right, we'll continue with Constitution. An 11. Charisma. A 9. So, Roland Daz is one of the strongest characters I've ever rolled up. I wonder why I can't roll like this for PCs. Let's see if these hot dice are still smoking. Rolling for hit points. That's 4d8 with no bonuses, with a min out at 17. Bad rolls, totaling 16. Okay, he gets bumped up to 17 then. With his shieldless plate mail, his base AC is a 3, but that deck score takes him to a 0. All in all, he isn't very tough, but he is extremely hard to hit. Okay, now to interpret these scores and think about how they would shape his personality. Rolandaz has spent more hours of his life in the Whitehall than any other dwarf his age. As the grandson of the chief, he has enjoyed a range of personal tutors who have added their expertise to his natural speed and talent. He is swift, strong, and wise. More than one dwarf has told him that they hope to see him as Thangar's ruler one day. Although he has not inherited his grandfather's love of commerce, he is a good judge of character. Still, the apple did not fall far from the tree. By the time Roland Daz was 20, he and his father were sparring together daily, and by the time he was 25, he was winning. His father used to tell his wife that their son seemed to have eyes in the back of his head and could guess his every move, choosing the correct parry before he had even chosen the thrust. The loss of his father, and now his grandfather, has hit him hard, but Roland Daz is infinitely proud to be an Augerstone. The following podcast is not intended for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm. When all planes of existence fall to ash, there is only one realm that remains. The Iron Realm. Before you in all directions, deep in the dark, there lies the maze. The Iron Realm. Millions of miles of corridors, caves, tunnels without end. This is the ultimate dungeon. Orcs, gods, kobolds, trolls. Ready your sword, your spells, your crossbow, your warhammer. The Iron Realm. Keep close, your companions, for they are your only hope for survival. Elf, fighter, wizard, cleric. There are no re-rolls. There is no way out. Yet here, in the dark, if any of the merciful gods still remain, you may find the strength you need to fight. The cunning you need to hide. And the luck you need to stay alive just a little longer. Iron Realm! Iron Realm! Iron Realm! I am your maze master, Abel Enzo. Get your dice and graph paper, and be sure to bring your friends. I'll see you in the realm. <laughs> Get the podcast at theironrealm.com or theironrealm.blogspot.com. There be dragons here.
Chapter 63, Part 2, Day 72, Afternoon, Party Status, Harl, 22 of 34 hit points, Gyrios, 27 of 37, Spells Available, Gyrios has prayed for, Resist Fire, Hold Person, and Locate Object. When they found Roland Daz, he was by himself, standing behind a flat-topped mushroom and using it as a table. There was a partially scorched basket on the ground beside him, from which he drew crossbow bolts, one after another. These were inspected and put into one of three piles, one for burned and ruined bolts, and two others that looked pretty much identical. Most people think they're all the same, but a slight warp in the wood or flaw in the fletching can ruin your aim, he said without looking up. As they approached, Roland Daz selected yet another bolt, sighted down its shaft, and nodded slightly in satisfaction. That bolt went into the smallest pile. He finally looked up and addressed them. Harl Stonecarver and Gyrios of Camranth, you have my thanks for the service you did Thangar in the mines. But if you came here seeking an apology, you'll be leaving disappointed. I meant what I said back there. If this was bait, Harl didn't take it. <laughs> he coolly plucked a quarrel from the basket and frowned at it. Do you plan to kill the worm with one of these? Roland Daz shrugged. I can hit a hobgoblin in the eye at sixty paces with one of these. I have a good friend who would approve of that. Still, I wonder how effective this would be against a dragon's scales. Last I heard, dragons have eyes, Chief Stonecarver. Peace, Roland Daz. I didn't come here to play a game of verbal tagwar. Gyrio, standing slightly behind Harl, wisely remained silent. Roland Daz scratched the back of his neck. Then why did you seek me out? I have a proposition for you, Harl began. Speak then. I think we should join up, work together. I move quickly, Chief Stonecarver. Your party of humans would just slow me down. He directed a cold and unblinking look at Gyrios as he spoke, and the cleric wondered if he wouldn't be hearing the term fish-eater before long. Harl was still holding the quarrel in his hand. He snapped it in two. Roland Daz snorted through his nose. Am I meant to be impressed? That's just my point, Harl retorted. With that, he selected five quarrels from the basket and held them all together, two-handed and lengthwise, so the points stuck out of one fist and the fletchings from the other. He tried to flex them, but they would not break. They did not even bend. Understand? Roland Daz gave him a blank look and did not respond right away. Harl tossed them back into the basket. Sorry about your arrow. Very often, as a result of how slowly I play this game, really at the speed of typing with lots and lots of breaks between short sessions, I realize that my first idea was not my best, and I come up with something better. It's one of the biggest benefits to playing this way, and it really is just a happy accident. I fully intended to roll a simple 2d6 on the reaction table, and take the narrative in whatever direction the results indicated. But I think I have a better idea. Roland Daz crossed his arms over his breastplate. Harl hadn't noticed before the twin silver bear heads adorning his van braces. Quarrel. Come again? You said arrow. They're called quarrels in the common tongue. Oh, well, I've no quarrel with you, son of Augustine. I hope you fight better than you joke. I do. Good. Can you prove it? 
I'm sorry. I don't think I follow. Harl scratched his beard and threw a sidelong glance at Gyrios, who just winced and shrugged. Chief Stonecarver, I will join with you on one condition. Best me in single combat, and I am yours to command. You and I will spar tonight. If I'm to be ruled by you, I would know you are the stronger dwarf. They met that evening in the same spot where the funeral and coronation had taken place. This was not to be a private affair, as Harl had hoped, but a very public one. Every dwarf who had stood in the audience the evening before was there again. There was an excitement, an electricity in the air. They knew they were about to see something special. In the center of the crowd, right where the chiefess had donned the crown formerly worn by Boehner Augerstone, was now a ring of Branabel lamps that described a circle just 20 feet in diameter. They pulsed and flickered as the insects within scuttled about their little prisons. Standing in the middle of the ring was a pair of dwarves. Roland Daz was there, wearing his silver-chased armor and holding a blunted battle axe. The second dwarf was none other than Grumblebelly. He was dressed in robes of black velvet, and a starkly contrasting white ermine cape hung from his shoulders. You're the new seneschal, asked Harl, bewildered as he entered the ring. The crowd that had parted to let him pass now closed behind him. Try not to look so surprised, replied Grumblebelly dryly. Are you ready? Harl looked at his own shabby practice axe with its dull blade. He looked to his right and saw Gyrios in the audience mouthing a prayer that was not especially comforting. He looked left and saw Garrett Magger in the front row. Garrett caught his eye and gave him a nod of support. I guess so. Then let's proceed. Several minutes of requisite pomp and ceremony followed, in which Grumblebelly extolled the virtues of each fighter to the crowd, and further explained that their fight would end when one of them managed to knock the other down. And so, champions, with our chiefess's blessing, fight on! As Grumblebelly mentioned, this fight will be non-lethal. The first combatant reduced to zero hit points or below is considered knocked down and defeated. Harl has 22 hit points, an AC of three, and a plus one two hit and damage strength bonus. He will need to roll a natural 16 or better to land a hit. Rolandaz has 17 hit points and an AC of zero. He also enjoys a plus one to hit and damage due to his strength. He only needs a 13 to hit Harl. If I were a betting man, I'd say the odds favor Roland Daz. Still, anything can happen when the dice tell the story. Let's begin. Round one, initiative, Harl. A six, Roland Daz. A five. Roland Daz is faster, but Harl is more experienced. Leading with a feint gives him the first swing. A 14, a good roll, but a miss. Roland Daz jumps away and strikes back with incredible speed. A five. Harl easily parries the blow. Hey. Round two. Initiative. Harl. A one. Roland Daz. A one. They smash together, striking simultaneously. Harl. A sixteen. He surprises the other dwarf by shooting in and headbutting him. Four. Seven damage. Roland Daz's counterattack. A sixteen. Seems he had the same idea. The dwarves smash their foreheads together, and Harl takes four points of damage. <laughs> Harl sees stars and stumbles back. 
Roland Daz spits out a tooth and opens his mouth in a bloody smile, laughing and calling out, Now we're fighting! How'd that feel, Stonecarver? The crowd is cheering loudly now, but which side they favor is unclear. Round 3. Harl is down to 18 hit points. Roland Daz has 10. Initiative. Harl. A 2. Roland Daz. A 5. Roland Daz takes advantage of Harl's momentary dizziness and aims a blow meant to cut the legs from under him. 4. Harl blocks the blow and goes for a shoulder bash. An 8 means he fails. Roland Daz pivots in time and Harl blunders past him, nearly tripping. Ha! Try to stand your feet a bit longer. I'm not done with you. Round 4. Initiative. Harl. A 2. Roland Daz. A 3. With Harl off balance, it's easy for Roland Daz to strike first this round. A 1. Critical fumble. Harl, it turns out, was not off balance at all, but fully in control. Once Roland Daz commits to his move, Harl spins out of the way, hooks the blade of his axe against his opponent's handle, and yanks it free. <laughs> Roland Daz, now weaponless, looks up, momentarily panicked as Harl once again crashes into him. A 6 is not good enough to cause damage. Roland Daz shoves him away, and the two face off again with the Thangarian's weapon lying on the floor between them. Round 5. Initiative. Harl. 5. Roland Daz. A 5. I think you dropped something, says Harl, smiling back. Now that they're in the thick of it and his blood is up, he is starting to enjoy himself. Harl kicks the fallen battle axe to the side and swings with all his might as the other tries to duck under the blow in an attempt to retrieve his weapon. A 3. Harl's blunted axe whistles through empty air and Roland Daz snatches up his blade. Round 6. Initiative. Harl. A 6. Roland Daz. A 3. Harl makes his move before his opponent can regain his balance. 18. Harl connects, slamming his blunted axe two-handed into the other dwarf's side for... 8 points! Wow. Harl rings Roland Daz like a bell, and the other staggers sideways, wincing in pain. The counterattack. A 15. That's also a hit. Harl takes six points as the other dwarf wallops him right back. All around them, the crowd roars their approval. Round 7. Harl is down to 12 hit points. Roland Daz has three. Things are looking up for Harl, but you never can tell. Initiative. Harl. A two. Roland Daz. A three. The Thangarian darts in. By Grunmog, he's fast. Harl has time to think before... <laughs> a two. Batting away a poorly aimed blow. Roland Daz grins away, now breathing hard, as is Harl. You move about as fast as a sack of onions, Chief Stone Carver. Harl waits for an opportunity as they circle each other. A 16. The weight pays off. Eight points. That's more than enough to end this fight. Harl hooks the curved edge of his blade behind Roland Daz's ankle and then shoves him with his left hand as hard as he can. His opponent falls flat on his back with a clang, making the nearby Branabille lamps jump. My father told me that if you can't be fast, you better be patient. Roland Daz lies on his back, laughing. That was the best fight I've had in years. <laughs> he said, coughing. The best fight I've had since my father passed away. 
You have bested me, Harl Stonecarver. I'm yours to command. Thanks for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, there are now several ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. I have a rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark available for the price of a cup of coffee on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who's done any of these things. I'd like to read a review from the Podbean app today. This one was posted by N. Thompson, 20096. N. Thompson writes, This series is a marvel. I love the storytelling, and the flashbacks are the best idea in a podcast yet. Anyone who listens will be hooked. Keep up the good work. Inspiration for me to play solo RPGs. Thanks. And thank you, N. Thompson. Words of encouragement like this really feed my spirit and drive me to work as hard as I can on the show. The farther it goes, the more I want it to be something special, something to be proud of. And so thank you for lifting me up. Okay, speaking of elevating the show, let's talk about this episode's voice talent. Returning to the show, playing Grumblebelly, it's James Schrall of the podcast, Subclass Act. Great to have you back, James. Doing another episode as Roland Daz Augerstone is Jared Grimm. Find him on Twitter at CrazyDrunkenElf. For listeners who'd like to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter at Manticore Tale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com where I post art, character sheets, maps, and other bits and pieces. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy action, mystery, French.